Hello and welcome to episode one of this exciting of the Wilder podcast. Welcome everyone. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Chloe and I on this journey. And hopefully we've got something pretty valuable for you. First of all, I would say Chloe's here. Yeah. Hi, everybody. And also, as ever, baby Elena is down there snuffling away in the corner. So hopefully you've listened to the trailer already. If you haven't and you want to have a quick snapshot about what is the main effort of the Wilder podcast, please go back to the uh, trailer of eight, eight minutes long and you can really decide if that's something that you're interested in. This episode is about expanding upon that and really giving detail about what we want to achieve about the Grange Project and beyond. In terms of this podcast and what we're trying to achieve with the mission, it's a, it's a mixture. It's a mixture of our journey as we go through the process of, of wilding or rewilding our 80-acre farm here in Wales. But it's also an equally important, if not more important, is the interviews of experts around a whole host of topics, things like rewilding, biodiversity, climate, climate change, climate emergency, whatever you want to call it, and sustainable living as well. It's been amazing the response we've received from some of the kind of really awesome guests who have already said that they're keen to come and support the podcast. As a first-time podcaster, I've been amazed by people's generosity and the calibre of some of our guests is just incredible. And I'm really excited about the conversations. So hopefully you'll also be excited to, to hear some of the people we've got lined up to speak with us. As we've said already, this is episode one of the whole series one. And we're releasing three episodes at the same time to really hopefully give uh, us a great foundation for the podcast and you as a listener understanding where our benchmark is, where we're, we're starting from, what our understanding is. So hopefully this is going to work and you're going to appreciate what we've done. So episode one, which is this episode, all about the Grange project, what we're trying to do with our you know, fairly modest, relatively speaking, 80 acres in Wales. Uh, we're going to cover things like a bit about our family's journey, overview of the land, me trying to describe 80 acres of land over an audio podcast. That's going to be fun. Talk about our mission, the purpose for the project, our reflections on how we think we're going to restore it back to nature. And again, you know, we're new to this, so we're not going to get all, have all the right answers in episode one. How we're going to conduct our outreach and support for the local community and also things like um, commercial viability, again, something very close to my heart, showing that small rewilding projects could become commercially viable. So moving on to episode two of the foundation episodes, this is where we cover kind of Chloe's background in a bit more detail, what's inspired her to come onto this journey. Equally important, or almost more importantly, is, is we interview the uh, very impressive Mark Linus. He's an environmental campaigner, author of many fascinating books, including Six Degrees of Warming, which was released back in 2007, and an updated version of which is the ominously named Final Warning, Six Degrees of Warming, which is one of the books that really had, uh, inspired me into digging more into the climate emergency and the impacts globally. So definitely something to look forward to there. And then episode three, I'm sorry to say a little bit more about myself. And also because of my military background, I was definitely honored that the uh, retired Lieutenant General Richard Newgie agreed to come on and be interviewed. He's the leading figure across certainly the British military and internationally about the challenges associated with climate change when it comes to national security and geopolitical instability caused by climate change. And it, you know, I don't know about you, Claire, but it was a fascinating conversation. Yeah, I think both these interviews are a really good starting point in terms of helping to, I guess, understand the significance of the kind of climate crisis and the impacts it might have for us on a very local level, as well as obviously the, all the international effects. And, you know, Mark's wealth of experience in this area, you know, he's, you know, he was into climate change before it was cool. Uh, and you really came across in the interview and Richard spoke so eloquently about some of the challenges that we face as a nation. And yeah, I came away really inspired and, and 
sort of thinking about issues in a way that I hadn't really addressed before. And these three episodes will be slightly different to a normal inverted commas episode. So beyond the foundational episodes, a normal episode beyond the foundational episode, we plan to give you a short update on what's happened on the Grange project. Again, nothing more than kind of 10 minutes or so what's happened over the last few weeks what we've learned or what we haven't learned. And then we'll go into an interview with one of our guests. So the difference is that these Spanish episodes won't have necessarily that kind of update from the Grange project. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Chloe to give a bit more background on our family's journey to acquiring the Grange project. So I suppose like a lot of people, it felt like climate change was something we were kind of aware of, but perhaps for various understandable reasons around not wanting to deal with the discomfort of having to make change or kind of avoiding thinking about a topic that feels so abstract and intangible at times, we kind of not really stepped into it in a focused way. And then we had Rose, um, who's now four, and it sort of changed our perspective a bit. I think that question we were asking ourselves is, well, first of all, what will the world be like for Rose when she's 30, 40, 50? And what might she be asking us about how we responded to this crisis? So I think that generated our shift. So becoming parents really generated our shift in our perspective on the climate and how engaged we should be with it. Yeah. And I mean, I would say that I, I was all those things, but also I was in the process of in the midst of the career. And I think we both were. We were, we were in the trenches working really hard to prove that we were or could be successful in our chosen profession. So we didn't have the capacity to bar heads above the parapet to go, right, what is actually going on in the climate crisis? And it was only after, like you say, when Rose arrived, women actually we probably should allocate time to this because it is getting more and more important. Yeah, I think we I bought a lot of books, but they were just kind of sitting on the shelves to read at some point. Um, so yeah, it was really helpful, I think, to really hold ourselves to account and actually think, well, I guess Rose was kind of holding us to account in her presence. Mm -hmm. So we started educating ourselves and I guess the fantastic thing about where we are now is there are so many ways in which you can gather that information. So whether it was from Netflix documentaries or books or, you know, started following people on social media that had something to say about these issues, podcasts, you know, I'm a big fan of podcasts. Um, so there were lots of different ways in which we kind of tried to inform ourselves about the issues. And I guess when you have that learning and that knowledge, you can't help but not want to test out some of the behavior change that is encouraged or supported by some of that learning. And for us, it was small steps to start with. You know, our car died, we needed a new one. We thought, oh, maybe we'll try leasing an electric car, just test out, see how it feels. And that was about three years ago, I think. And then we started thinking about veganism and I'm super foodie and I think oh, yeah. Tom would agree with that. And I love I eat a lot of food. If you know. <laughs> I felt that that felt really hard to me. I had this kind of association with veganism being not tasty, but we thought, okay, well, let's just try it out once a week. We got some vegan meal boxes to help us experiment and you know I guess they're not flying it's it's a hard thing isn't it because for us fundamentally we're in a position where we've got a young family flying around the world isn't high on our priority list out of all the things we're going to be spending our time doing so it's perhaps an easy sacrifice than many people I guess whenever we're thinking about changes we've made we're coming from a position of this is the change we've made within our context that's informed by our financial resource, informed by where the ages of our children and our kind of professional journeys. Mm -hmm. And everyone's context is going to be different and everyone want, want to experiment with different things. And what we're really trying to be clear throughout this whole podcast really is that we're not offering any judgment for people that make different decisions. I guess what I would be up hoping is that people will be making decisions from an informed place. You know, that non-judgmental thing is so important. If you are here listening to this podcast, you have made the that is an amazing step to be here to, to be to educating yourself and hopefully well, hopefully we become interesting at some point and you learn something from this. And that so um 
we've made all these changes. Let's go through those. Electric car, well, we were in a position where we were fortunate enough to be able to afford electric car. Uh, the first one we got was an absolute nightmare. And I had many a cursed journey trying to get somewhere it couldn't get us to. And, and that informed us to get the next car and how we were going to utilize that car going forward. And that was all a learning experience. Vegan mailboxes. We're not vegans now. We do eat more vegan, but we are still we do eat meat more when we visiting friends or family or whatever, when it's about, you know, it's not about being judgmental, it's just about being personal choice. And again, the same for, for not flying. We've been very fortunate in our lives. We've done some long trips before we became kind of climate aware. And so we've had some amazing experiences. So it's not about judging people for doing it, but I think it's about educating yourself about the impact and making an informed decision choice. Absolutely. And I, I guess that took us to a place of being more kind of climate aware and, and I guess climate concerned absolutely about what, what was happening. And then we watched a documentary by George Monbiot, which kind of introduced us to this idea of the biodiversity crisis, which was another crisis I think we've kind of been aware of, perhaps perhaps not fully engaged with. And as we've learned more about it, obviously its links with climate have become even clearer to us. And that's something we will cover in future episodes. But essentially, George is responsible for a lot of our decision making, <laughs> I think, around the idea of rewilding and the importance of that to not just nature and biodiversity, but also to address the climate crisis. So then the next challenge became, well, can we rewild where we're currently living? And for various reasons, that wasn't possible due to the kind of constraints upon the land. And there was a really, it was kind of a limited opportunity to increase biodiversity. So then the next step became, well, how do you buy a farm? Do they appear a right move? Do you need to go and speak to a farm seller? A farm seller? We do. <laughs> and, and, and do we want to buy a farm? Yeah. Is, does land just come up for sale with a house on it? Is that classed as a farm or is that something else? So yeah. That's that's the level of cluelessness yeah. and naivety, I suppose, we had at the start of the journey. And we are only a few steps beyond that. That's yeah, do we have to pass a farming test? Someone get out. Yeah. Uh, so I think that became the next step. And funnily enough, farms do come up in right move. And I guess I wonder whether it's probably you want to introduce a bit about how we found Range Farm and your tactics for getting me to <laughs> decide this was going to be our the next step on our journey. I was wondering whether you wanted me to talk about how I emotionally manipulated you into buying yeah, that. Let's do that. Um, this was the it wasn't the first farm we looked at. Uh, this was the third farm. Each one had its own kind of pros and cons. It's a lot harder, I think, as you, to buy something like this than you think because there's so much complexity associated with it. Anyway, long story short, uh, this came up on the market. It was amazing. And up until now, we've gone together to go and view these places. But I found myself the day before the viewing. You didn't even tell me. A bit of free, off. A bit of free time. Yeah. I, I must be useful. So I came down to the land and had a really good walk around. And it was, I blew my socks off, really did. And knowing my wife well enough now, I knew that if I came back and said how amazing this place was, that she would instantly look for the reasons we probably shouldn't do it. Are you describing me as contrary? No, but it, it's balance. And it's important in life. Balance is important. So if I went heavy on, on how amazing it was, you try and balance it back, which I think is good in our relationship. Yeah, um, <laughs> love. Yeah. So anyway, long story short, we did that and and it worked basically. So I said, not so sure. It's got a very long drive up and that's uh, that's that's potholed, very remote. I'm not sure it's your kind of thing. It's great to listed. We make it, you know yeah. that's it. No changes to that. But once we arrived, it was just uh, spectacular. And as we finished our, our hour and a half walk around the land, on the way back to the house, the agent Chloe looked at me and said, "We're going to buy this, aren't we?" And and that's it. It still took a year and a lot of heartache to get actually to purchase the land and move in. But that's how we find ourselves with 80 acre farm in Mama. Now I'm intrigued, Tom, because at the start of this episode, you said you were going to give us an audio description of the land. Um, <laughs> so I'm waiting for this. Are we going to have a poem? What's the, what's, the, what's it going to involve? So 
80 acres of land down at the end of Malnahal single track road. It's a dead end. This is the only one of two farms down the lane. The house is in the center of the bowl, which has a stream running through it. And then essentially fields, a large fields kind of wrapped around the center of the bowl and where the house is. To the, what's that direction? To the west, we've got woods, which connect onto our land. And then to our east, we've got another valley with a beautiful stream and uh, some kind of young woods uh, growing up. So we really thought a great opportunity to be able to kind of connect those habitats. And I guess that's the kind of sense of the kind of geographical features around the land. But in terms of the land itself, it's predominantly what would be described as semi-improved grassland. So essentially what that means are fields that have been used primarily for grazing, mostly sheep, and also for taking a kind of cut of hay or haylage off. So we're lucky that they haven't been uh, completely overwhelmed with fertilizer, which we'll, again, we'll probably do another podcast episode about the impacts of fertilizer on wildflower meadows. But essentially there it's a lot of large sort of semi-improved grassland, which with the kind of, well, I guess the most diverse areas are centered around the stream where the tenant farmer wasn't able to get to. So there we've got some self-seeded alder woodland. We've got a lot more diversity of plants and some marshy grassland, which that is the bits that I get really excited about. You kind of walk, do your circular walk of the land and it's kind of feels a bit, not barren, but you know, you kind of got that great exposure of grassland and then you kind of go down to the wet bits and that's where it starts to get exciting. And there will be some people listening that really care about the history of how it was farmed and, and obviously more recently kind of, obviously we're taking it off the market, so to speak, in terms of not being a significantly productive farm going forward. So how has it historically been farmed? For, for the last 15 years or so, it's really just been the kind of grazing and taking the cut of the grass um, processes. How it was utilized previously, we're connected to a dairy farm. So I imagine that it was used at some time for grazing dairy cattle, but it's never been part of an arable picture as far as we're aware. And in some ways, I think it's been a little bit forgotten, which is probably to our advantage because the hedgerows have gone a bit wild. And there are elements of where trees have been able to naturally regenerate. So it kind of feels like we just, it's already had some nudges in the right direction. And we're now just going to, I guess, tip it over into the allowing nature to really take over. And just to finish it off, on the northern boundary, there's a whole line of Oak trees that have been there for hundreds of years, they're beautiful and I absolutely love spending time around them. And again, there's an episode or two in the podcast to learn more about oak trees. And it's fascinating to learn more about the role that they play in the wider ecosystem. Absolutely. And there's some great infrastructure on the land as well. There's five modern agricultural barns, which we'll talk about in more detail a little bit later on. And certainly the lines of the experience we've had so far, just being here, here three months, we've had significant runoff from the land that essentially creates a meandering river through the house or next to the house and across the hard standing which essentially is creating its own kind of flash flooding so again it's something we need to look into and how do we bring back natural water attenuation again words that i've only recently learned i've almost burned down the modern agricultural barns there's a video of that which i'll show a little bit later on and there's deer roaming the the land which is great to see and the and the effects and the impacts that they have it to be discussed and debated, although not quite as great when the dogs career off across the land because they've seen a deer kilometer away, yeah. but never mind. Yes, the apex predator on our land at the moment is definitely the nurture. <laughs> not that any animals have been hurt in the making of this project. <laughs> so I guess this podcast was a nice opportunity for us to really think about, well, what is the mission or the, the purpose of the Grange project? So we thought it would be helpful just to kind of give you a brief outline of what we're hoping to do with the Grange project before we go into a bit more detail about what that actually looks like. So I guess our overriding mission really is to use the journey of rewilding land to help kind of promote and 
generate conversation on a wider scale about rewilding, about biodiversity and about the climate emergency. So we're really trying to kind of use this project as a way of influencing conversation. So I'm just going to see Chloe roll her eyes now. I'm going to use another military terminology here, but the force multiplier effect, I really want to use the power of social media, the podcast, hopefully the YouTube channel that we launch, Instagram, which I'm starting to get my head around now as well. 80 acres isn't going to change the world. But actually, if we can influence other people to create a wider effect, that's a wonderful mission that we're trying to adhere to. Even if it's out of, definitely out of my comfort zone to sit on social media as a, I mean, I'm not going to say an influencer, but you know, there are, I guess there are parallels with that process. Own it, Chloe. Oh. <laughs> so in terms of the kind of purposes of our projects, we tried to kind of distill it down to four key ideas. So the first being restore. So we want to essentially restore the ecosystem that we our custodians of here and that's through obviously our rewilding activities and we'll come into what that looks like how passive and active that's going to be and kind of all of those associated questions in later episodes so the second one of our purposes is around supporting our local community the third is around education to build understanding and i guess we've got lots of different ways in which we want to do that recognizing the journey that we went on and what helped us to learn so we're going to have some courses we're going to think about content on the website and of course this podcast and I guess our final hope, which really connects into the kind of mission, is around influencing behavior change. And what we really hope is that people will engage with us, engage with the podcast episodes, engage with us on social media, come and walk with us, talk with us on the land so that we can all think together because none of us are experts in this. None of us are getting it right all the time, but we think conversation and connection is the way forward. Yeah, I just want to reiterate, if you're sitting here and, go, and thinking, well, I'm not a ecologist, I'm not a conservationist, I'm not sure I'm going to belong in these conversations. It is the opposite. We are not those people either. Okay, so we are, of course, going to engage them and hopefully invite plenty of people like that with great experience to come around and enjoy the project. But equally, if not more importantly, it's people who just want to educate themselves more in a friendly, non-judgmental atmosphere if we're trying to foster. That's it, absolutely. (laughs) So I guess to just go into a little bit more detail about those four purposes. So restore thinking about ecosystem recovery i guess i have a maybe a quite a naive hope about what the land might look like in 5 10 30 years time and that's this kind of idea of a mosaic of habitats that might include wetland areas woodland meadow scrubland and that those and that kind of idea of these kind of corridors that connect and intersect these different spaces with the primary aim i guess of increasing as much biodiversity as possible in whatever ways we can so we currently have 80 acres here and the general consensus is if you want to introduce kind of large herbivores so we're talking about kind of cows ponies into the system that you need about 150 acres so that's something that we would be wanting to work towards so that we can use natural processes as far as possible to help us manage the habitat yeah i'm extremely excited about having our own cows not wandering around the place and maybe the old pig I think it's going to be brilliant. And I think that even having 80 acres, we can still achieve that. But again, I think it's going to be working with other rewilding projects locally to share cows and pigs. Yeah, no, there's a there's a great system of rent to pink, hopefully. So we can um, get involved yes. in that. Um, but I think that's a really good point, Tom. Like there's something about we, in a purist rewilding model, you would just kind of let the land go and let nature entirely take over. But I think we're probably acknowledging that we're going to have some more active intervention as well all with the aim of promoting positive natural processes 
but I guess some of them we're wanting to speed up <laughs> with the hope that we can provide a source of interest and education for people when they come and walk around the land. And so to support us with all of these endeavors, we're going to work with an ecological consultancy that will help us really understand about how we're going to work towards that aspiration and what we need to be doing to support nature on its way. And we're also going to be learning from other projects. And we've you know, had some happy outings already to NEP and to some other local rewilding projects. And there's lots to learn from reading. I love listening to audiobooks. And I've been enjoying a variety of books which look at rewilding projects across all different sorts of landscapes within the UK. So kind of moving on to the support phase of our project, as I said before, we really want to work alongside the community. But we are very conscious that we are new to the community ourselves. So we're not going to jump into this. And we really want to just listen and speak and meet people and find out what's happening. It is a remote location, as Chloe says. So although remote location doesn't mean that it's not people aren't close. We've already met some amazing people, super friendly people who are like-minded as well. So it's going to be a light touch. But, you know, anyone that lives locally, please get in touch. and We can work out how we can work together as a community. We've got lots of ideas, but there's plenty more to do and learn. However, some of the things we are going to do, we're instigating the Wilder Wonder for next year. Um, we've been busy creating paths and tracks through the land and by kind of spring next year, once things dry up, we hope to be able to open that, uh, working alongside the halfway, which is an independently owned local pub, where hopefully we'll be able to park at the pub, enjoy an hour and a half, two hours walk up through the woods, around the land, and down again, and maybe finish off there with a quick pint or maybe some food as well. Yeah. And I'm a keen baker, so maybe there'll be a lot of sustenance on the way. And we just, I'm really excited about this idea of people coming and we can walk with people and talk to them about what we're doing and why and our hopes for the process. So we're yeah, really looking forward to welcoming people onto the land. Probably learning from them. because oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So I mentioned we're starting from a very low bench line. <laughs> uh, shippers huts. Uh, next thing we're looking at is, again, it's ecotourism. We, but I do, we do not want this place covered with shepherd's huts. However, we have to sustain this project and allow us to focus on it. So we are going to have two or three huts placed in remote areas of land. Again, not in the way of the wilder wonder, but first someone can, people can come be off grid and enjoy the project for what it is. We have to get that balance between protecting the wildlife we're trying to nurture and also try to bring in some revenue. And also courses as well. We aspire to working with experts, build courses. Again, if anyone knows or would like to present themselves, lead courses from the land, please do get in touch. The email to use is hello at grangeproject.co.uk. And, and there's lots of other ideas, such as kind of volunteering. Now, of course, we'd love volunteers to come. Uh, we hope people want to come. We hope it's a wonderful place to come and spend time. From a wellness perspective, if nothing else, also to learn more skills and be connected to nature. I've definitely benefited over the three months of being here. And even today, just going for a walk around the land and taking some unbelievable photos, which Chloe, I'll show you later. It just is makes your heart sing, for lack of a much better term. I think there's very clear value there. And I guess that really speaks to me coming from a background working in mental health. I think that there is a lot to be said from being outside and being with people. And that's what we want to create here, a place where you can come and appreciate nature, but also form relationships and feel part of something. Okay. Finally, partnerships with local businesses. We've got infrastructure here. I think we've got a strong story behind what we're trying to achieve. And if we can work with local businesses, we've got infrastructure here. If we can locate local businesses here, and can work with them to build the ethos of kind of rewilding and sustainability and being carbon positive or negative, depending on what you want to say, or helping drive biodiversity with what they're doing. Again, things like that, I'm very interested to do. And we've got, obviously, Wilder Gin is a concept that I'm very excited by because I love my gin, as Chloe will say. And we've already got, I don't want to speak too soon, but working, looking and speaking and reaching to local gin distilleries to see if there's partnerships that we can do. It's very exciting. 
So the third of our purposes is around education. So we're not going to dwell too much on this because I guess it's pretty obvious about how we're trying to educate people, but we've got the Wilder podcast. There's obviously all the information on the website and we're trying to make those articles and the social media posts as engaging as possible. And finally, we really love to bring local schools to the site to learn about biodiversity loss, the value of rewilding, and and perhaps some specific skill development, wildflower identification or bug hunting. We had a, Rose had some friends over the other day and it was such a joy to watch them out in the fields, hunting out for butterflies and worms and learning about the function they play as part of a wider ecosystem. So we probably should educate ourselves first before yeah. we all gather. Yeah. So the final one of our purposes that I want to briefly touch on is this idea of influence. And I guess we taught out a bit of a debate about whether to even include this as part of our purpose, because perhaps it's implicit in all that we're trying to do. And I guess it's fair to say we're not entirely sure what the influence will look like yet. And, and perhaps that's a good thing, because it might be that, I don't know, a family comes for a wilder wander on a Saturday and for some cake and a pint at the pub, and they... As part of the walk, they use the QR code we'll have dotted around to find a kind of engaging description about what we're doing on the land. And and then maybe what they do is choose to extend no mow May until the start of summer holidays mm-hmm. to allow some more diversity to appear in their back garden. Or maybe it's a, a corporate away day we're hosting and someone comes along and loves the opportunity to kind of connect with nature. And then as a result of that, they sign up for their local community veg garden. And then, you know, what we know is that the most sustainable food is that that's grown most locally to you. And and that sort of starts to create so small changes that all feed into a wider system change. Yeah, I think this is probably one of the things that I'm most excited by is that unknown influence that hopefully we'll be going to be able to do by, by starting this, by trying to do it to a high standard. We're hoping that we will drive that change, seen and unseen change. And, and please let us know if there are any changes that you you start to experiment with as a result of engaging with any of our content, because I, you know I would be, be super excited to hear about those. So this final section, before we go into the wrap up, feels like the dirty word, a dirty section to kind of talk about, but it's the thing that I'm, I love and I'm fascinated by, which is commercial viability in business. I really enjoy the challenge of coming up with an idea and trying to generate revenue from it. And, and it's so important because this is the thing that's going to underpin everything and allow us to do all the positive change that we just described. So we're going to try and be transparent with everything we do where appropriate. In the hope that we will be able to show that a small farm rewilding project really can become commercially viable. It's not about making zillions of pounds at all, um, but it is about sustaining a family on this land and allowing us to thrive and hopefully grow in order to kind of increase in influence. It's probably worth mentioning here that we are incorporating as a community interest company, which there's lots of pros and cons of that. But the, the main crux of it is that we look to reinvest the profits of the company back into the main effort of what we're trying to do for, to support the community. And I think that's really exciting. I'm not going to get too nerdy about some of the kind of economic models that underpin that. But if people are familiar with the idea of donut economics, that's the kind of principle that we're really trying to think about, about how do we make sure that something is economically viable, but also benefits both the society and the and nature, the nature around us. So in some of the things that we've already discussed, and I won't go into any more detail, this thing, obviously, there's farming grants out there. There's, there's the new sustainable farming scheme in Wales that may or may not come into fruition in 2025. There's our shepherd's huts. We've got our modern barns. We discussed the wilder gin and also potentially courses, et cetera, corporate sponsorship, podcast sponsorship. There's, there's, the world's our oyster. It's really exciting. So that is it. No, Chloe, I think that is the most we've spoken about ourselves 
I think ever, which yeah. is it's been pretty uncomfortable to be honest. <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, well, I'm I'm a bit bored by my invoice, so, so hopefully, uh, um, hopefully our listeners haven't experienced that. And Eleanor has slept throughout, which I'm not sure is a testament to our engaging conversation. <laughs> that's true. So that's it. So the only thing left to do is that if you have found this interesting, please move on to episodes two and three, where you get to learn a little bit more about us as people, but most importantly, the foundational understanding of what's really inspired the science behind the change that we're trying to do. If you want to follow us, we have a Facebook, all, all the links are in the show notes. Um, we have a Facebook group, but actually what's growing really nicely at the moment is our Instagram page. And actually I'm finding that as a really kind of almost more engaging medium. So go to look for Grange.project on Instagram or just Grange Project on Facebook. If you want to email us directly, there's a contact form on the website, or you can just type in hello at grangeproject.co.uk. And if you'll find this podcast useful, please, please do. It makes a massive difference to growth of this podcast is if you just go and rate and review that, especially because this is new. If there's lots of racing reviewing as, as we've just launched, it essentially bumps it up the ranking. It allows it to become more visible. Therefore, more listeners hopefully can benefit from this. Yes. And if, if that can be anyone other than our mums, we'd really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Don't know about yours, but I'm going to have to teach you how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so all that's left is to thank you. You've got this far. Very well done. And we really can't wait to share this journey with you. Thanks so much, everybody. Bye.